good morning. Like, How do we answer him? He said two things. What's up? What's up? I'm glad to be here today. If you're here for the first time, welcome, especially if you're watching online today. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to be wrapping up our series, No Regrets, Not No Regrets. Yeah, we're talking about tattooing God's word on the hearts of our kids. That's the tattoo they don't regret. Um, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 again, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, but let me go ahead and make an announcement I have here in my notes. So hear ye, hear ye. Here we go. Uh, family fun night is April the 1st. That's 5.30 p.m. And we're asking that you please RSVP because there are a limited number of spaces out in the parking lot where families will be huddled up and tailgating and all that stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. They have some great stuff planned. There's even a magician that's going to be there. That's right. Sorcery at church. Here we go. All right. So make sure you're there for that. No, I've seen this dude at another event. He was amazing. You don't want to miss this. He was phenomenal with the kids at the event I was at. So you want to make sure you're here uh, for that. So please go RSVP, like I said. So here's the deal. We are in this series. We're wrapping it up. And if you have not already, you need to go back and watch the first two weeks of this series with Jacob and Sam's messages. What an awesome I think, impact that they have made talking about their lives and how these principles we've been talking about played out in their childhood where Jacob was basically raised by a wizard in theology, his dad, who has every degree you can have, and how his beliefs shaped their upbringing and their lives. And then Sam's story of how his mom discovered a Bible while cleaning out a house they bought, and she came to know Jesus through reading the Scripture and each one of them shared just really important passages of Scripture in addition to Deuteronomy 6 that we need to know and remember that I think guide us, encourage us, and help us along the way as we take on such a huge task of raising our kids, right? The pressure is on. And so we need God's help to do this. And so my story will come into this message as well, and mine's a little bit different than theirs my mom was a pastor's kid who ran away from home. My dad was raised by his grandma who was a part of the Mormon church and he didn't practice that. And so they came together. And when you kind of have a, you know, a pastor's kid run away and a non-practicing Mormon, that's not exactly an equation for devout church attendance. So we didn't go to church as a family until I was in my senior year of high school. My dad was injured on the job, became addicted to his medication, which then led to him becoming an addict, an alcoholic. And it was during that tragic event, right, that suffering in our family's life, that my mom returned to church for the first time in decades, renewed her faith in Christ. Me and my siblings came to faith in Christ for the first time in our life. And so here you go. You have Sam, you have Jacob, you have me. All of us were raised in different ways. All of us impacted, were impacted by a relationship with Christ at different stages in our life. But we're all three here in the same way, doing the same thing. So what that should tell you is that his influence, right? Jesus's influence in our life has far more impact than we oftentimes give it credit. It doesn't matter where you're coming from in all of this, but as soon as you begin to pursue the vision of loving God with your heart, soul, and strength, that you will encounter more through that relationship than you can imagine. And so you have to ask the question, okay, why would we preach a series like this where we're talking about showing our children the way to follow Jesus? Well, because we believe that everyone will live forever somewhere. And we believe that God has revealed himself 
through the person of Jesus Christ, that we can know God and we can know ourselves through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the invisible God made visible. He is the divine nature of God made plain, and he is the way of salvation. And so we point our children toward the most important thing that there is, right? Our faith. But we also know that our faith does not automatically become their faith. They inherit our faith, but they have to come to their own personal decision about that faith. They must encounter him in their own life and in their own way. But this is what we stand on. We believe scripture is alive. We believe that it is something that penetrates to the heart, that divides soul and spirit, that teaches good and evil. We believe that the Holy Spirit, was, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture and the Holy Spirit inspires the reading of Scripture, that Jesus reveals himself to us through the Scripture. So even though it's not meaningful today, if I teach my children the Word of God, there will come a day in their future where all of a sudden those words will take wings. All of a sudden those things things that were lifeless and meaningless take on life because the circumstances of what they're going through connects to something that may have not been impactful for them when they learned it, but all of a sudden it takes life at a future stage, at a future circumstance or reason. So we teach our kids these things. We show them things others showed us. We take what we've learned. We pass it on. We set the example so many of those things we're going to talk about today, and all of it comes back from this reality. We believe everyone lives forever somewhere, and Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of the world. And so here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and, you sh and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So again, in Jacob and Sam's messages, they talk to us about the direction that we're heading and the direction that our kids are heading in life. And Jacob rightly said that if you want to know where your kids are headed, just look where you're headed. They're following your lead. You're setting a course for them to follow. And Sam encouraged us and talked to us about as we follow Jesus, we're not always going to get it right. We might send our kids in a strange direction that they and we may one day say that was weird, but we were following this vision of loving God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, but we are sending our kids in the directions that they are going to go. But as I said, my story was very different. The critical conversation about the person of Jesus Christ started my senior year of high school. I heard about him throughout my life. My mom talked about him throughout my life. She herself continued to pray and have a relationship with God, but there was an assumption, right? Like many of our houses growing up, that faith was just naturally being passed down. But by the time my dad's addiction came to the surface and my mom returned to church, I had decided in my mind that Jesus wasn't real. I had decided that he was made up and he wasn't something I needed to take seriously. It was just something that made people feel better about all areas of life. And when you grow up in the South, you don't tell your Southern mama you don't love Jesus, right? So I had all that under the surface. 
And so when my mom all of a sudden wanted her kids to go to church with her, we started having actual conversations about the person of Jesus Christ and the importance of a local church. And so here's what's the first thing I experienced, right? I wasn't really attracted to the person of Jesus, but I was attracted to his people because the people in his church knew what was happening in my family. And they immediately started to show us the kind of love that Jesus had shown them. They showed up for us. And I experienced that love in a way I never had before because all I had really known of church was the type of church my mom grew up in. And all I knew of them was they couldn't watch TVs, wear makeup, wear earrings, only had to wear pants. Men couldn't have beards. You know, and my dad always rocked a solid goatee. So it's like in my mind, I just knew my dad was on the outside all my life. All these little things in the back of a kid's mind. And I met a pastor, his lead team. I met people, my neighbors, like folks I didn't even know went to that church, went to that church. And they were learning and living a message of grace that through faith and faith alone, we have received Christ, right? And we are learning how to love. We're not earning God's love. We're learning God's love as we go along, making mistakes, missing the mark all the time. But with one another, we grow faster, right? We go further, we go faster with one another. So this was my first experience of Jesus Christ was these people who were very laid back and chill and wanted to turn from the rule-keeping type church experience and to have relationship. So that was formative for all of us, right? And you might be thinking in the start of this message today, okay, I hear what you're saying. I heard the message or the scripture you just read about writing the word on our kids' hearts. And I heard what Sam said last week about shooting them out of the bow, right? Like an arrow at a target and they're gonna go in the direction that I send them. But I don't know where to begin. Maybe you're there, okay? I don't know where to begin. I don't know where things went wrong. Maybe these were things that were real and important in your household at one point, but are no longer that way. And then you might just be saying, well, I don't know what to do right now, right? Kind of a mixture of all those things, but I don't know how to get to the place that some of you have talked about this month. My kids think this is all make-believe, right? Their lifestyle may not be accepted. That's what they think, or they think it's too exclusive or even abusive. They may think like, well, this isn't a place that I'll I'll belong or I'll be able to meet people and be a part of community. I mean, whatever it is, there's all kinds of opinions about the person of Jesus Christ and his church and the scriptures that young people experience today. But here's the thing I want you to know. What we're saying to you is not get everything right and that if you teach your children the word of God, they will avoid all issues and influences and their position on the person of Jesus Christ will be exactly what you want it to be. And there'll never be any season where they don't go off track. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that if you tattoo these things on their heart from the beginning or from today forward, these things will be either the first influence of their life or an extremely important influence in their life. Because you can't control all the influences that shape a person's view of the person of Jesus Christ. 
There are so many things in our life that we're going to experience and encounter, people we're going to meet, they're going to shape our opinion. But we as parents are the first filter, right? We're the first influence in their life. They're inheriting our faith and then they're processing through it as they go along through life. And so what you do, knowing that there will be all of these other influences, is that you give them the scripture as their first influence. And I've known many parents who have tried to control all of the influences, who've tried to shelter and shut off, and they fail. Because what they also believe, which feels very true, is that they know what's best for their kids. Now, listen to what I'm saying here. We all learn and know our children and have deep desires for their achievements and where they're going and the people that they will be. But what we know will always fall short. And what we think today may not be what we think tomorrow. And so what we're saying to you through this series is the vision of love God with your heart, soul, and strength is the most important and the most powerful vision that you can lead your children with because that will be a rock that will be there all through their life. Whereas your opinion of parenting and your method of parenting is constantly changing and evolving and your view of things is changing and evolving, this rock, this vision will be the thing that holds you firm and guides you through all of these other experiences. Because what Sam said last week that is so true is as you shoot the arrow out of the bow, you have to consider the environmental factors in order to hit the target. Psalms 127 says that children are like an arrow in the hand of a warrior and they go where we send them. They go where we are pointing them at. But there are these external influences that will come in and will change the trajectory of the arrow flying through the air. And so what we need to just go ahead and and make peace with today is we can't control everything, but we can lay a foundation that they can build upon that will be the first filter, the first influence of their life, where all the other influences will be filtered through this first influence. Let me tell you kind of a funny story, something that happened with Seth when he was a lot younger that illustrates this point, right? When Seth was not... He, he was almost two years old. He started having this croup cough, but it wasn't a croup cough that came with a fever. It was just, it just was a really disturbing. He would have the strider breathing and heavy breathing. And so here we were doing breathing treatments at night, trying to figure out what's going on, going back and forth to the doctor. And they say, well, he's too young to test for certain allergies. So we're just going to start making our best guess based on some of the stuff you've told us. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to go on a totally gluten-free and dairy-free diet with Seth. Seth loves pizza. Always has. I mean, come on, it's pizza. You know what I'm saying? And we tried all kinds of stuff during that time, all these alternatives and substitutes. Come on, listen, can't we all agree that stuff is trash? Get it out of here, right? It's just, I like cauliflower crust, but everything else, come on, pizza's pizza. And so Megan and I were just trying to be good parents and keep pizza out of sight, out of mind, out of the house, right? But there was this church event where there was lots of pizza, as there always is. And someone said, somebody please take this home. And Megan and I acting like we were doing something noble. We're like, oh, we'll take one. We'll take one. But now there's this scheme that has started because Megan and I are looking at each other thinking, okay, we're about to go super spy here and we have to hide this P-I-Z-Z-A. We couldn't even say the word. 
for the next 12 hours because we have this pizza. We don't want Seth to see it. And he knows the word pizza. He's like a kid. I mean, it's like, you know, when you have this a kid, you know, certain words, they know certain things are about to happen. So we're spelling pizza all day long. And our plan was to eat it after he went to bed. That's right. We were willing to eat pizza at 10 p.m. because we hadn't had it in so long. But I was getting impatient. And finally, I mean, this is a true story. Finally, I said, like, why did the pastor just say that's a true story? You know, we all spice it up, but I'm telling you exactly what happened. So we're waiting until 10 p.m. and it's like probably 8.30 or something. And so I think, well, let me preheat the oven. And I start to pull it out of the fridge and Meg's in the other room. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, putting the P-I-Z-Z-A in the O-V-E-N. She's like, why'd you spell oven? Like, I don't know, but I'm putting it in there. So I'm preheating it. And she's saying, no, don't take it out. We don't want him to see it. And so by this time, she makes her way into the kitchen and we're having an argument about the timing of our meal. And Seth is in the living room watching something. He's on the floor looking up at the TV. And as Megan and I are having this little whisper fight, I look over his shoulder and there is a pizza commercial on the television. Just the long cheese, just, and he's like, no joke. That's exactly how it happened. And Megan and I both laughed about that. We've talked about it so many times because it is such a good illustrative experience showing you can't control it all. But there's a solution that is given here in Deuteronomy 6 of how we make God's word, which is alive, their first filter, right? that there might, be, there might be things that come along in their life that they may want, but what they want is not what they need or what they want is not what's best. And they need to know how to filter. They need to know the difference between good and evil according to God's character, not their own definition that they've been forming along as they go. They need to know what God's word teaches about righteousness. What is righteousness? About holiness. What is holiness? We need to teach those things that say, I love God. I love my neighbor. And I'm following him. I'm not always hitting the mark, but I'm progressing. I'm not going after perfection. I'm going after progress. I I need to know how to filter these things, question what I feel, not follow what I feel. And what this says in Deuteronomy 6 is if we do three things, this is what will take place. If we teach, if we talk, and if we bond, right? Bond. If we, it's like weaving your faith into every area of your life, saturating your home, saturating the experience of your kids growing up, but there's this teaching and the talking that's happening throughout their life. So here's the big thing I hope jumps out at you right here is that there is a explanation going on. There is not only an example of living it themselves, but there's an explanation. There's a critical conversation about faith taking place within their life. And as Jacob said in week one, we can't just say to our kids, faith is important. We have to show them that faith in Jesus Christ is important and not only show them, but talk to them about our own faith journey, where we struggled, the times in our life that our faith was fragile, the scriptures that were meaningful, where we built a firm foundation that we ourselves stood on, an impactful experience with another person. Whatever it is, our kids need to know how Jesus has revealed himself to us, how he has shown himself to us, how he has showed you throughout your life that he is God's son. He loves you. You can trust him. You can follow him. Put your faith in him. And that's the connection that we have to make, right? Deuteronomy 6 is a part of the law. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, and Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. So what we're doing is we're having a critical conversation. We're talking to our, chi- our children, tattooing the word of God on our kids' hearts that show who Jesus is. Listen what Jesus said about himself in Luke 24, 44. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he's saying that scriptures like Deuteronomy pointed ahead to him who is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, all of God's covenant promises came to life in the person of Jesus Christ. And by faith and faith alone, we become children of God and experience the life that he imagines for us, not the one we've imagined for ourselves. And so we're talking about the scriptures and how they point to Jesus as the hope of the world. Because this is what our kids need to know, that what they will search for in their life, they will find in Christ. That everything that presents itself to them as a source of satisfaction for their soul will only satisfy temporarily. And they'll have to move on to the next hobby, the next interest, the next thing. It will not satisfy. And the answer for the evil in this world, the absence of justice in this world, Jesus is the answer for those things as well. Not only is there a new creation that we're a part of and is coming, but there is a day of justice that's coming as well where God will make right all that's been wrong. God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. They need to know that the message of the cross is the hope of the world, that God heard humanity's cry just like he did in Egypt where they shake their fist at the heavens and say, God, do something. But the answer is for all of us here today, he already did. 2,000 years ago, before we could even ask the question, he hung on a hill between heaven and earth for you and me, and he answered the plea of humanity for goodness and righteousness and justice. We want our kids to know that person. We want to build upon this foundation of faith that they can experience him for themselves. And what Sam showed us last week in Psalms 127 is that if we will point them in that direction, that he will make up the difference. We're all pouring dirty water into the vessels of our kids. All of us are missing the mark. All of us are not doing what we say. All of us are sometimes striving for perfection when we should be teaching progress. I mean, whatever it is you want to say, we're all missing the mark. But what's even more challenging is some of us are trying to shape our kids into what we think is best. And listen to what it says again in Psalms 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. If there have ever been three verses that describe the anxiety of parenting, it is Psalms 127, verses one through three. I mean, I remember when Seth was born, 
all the feels, right? The tears that hit instantly when they laid him on Megan's chest. And just a few hours later, it just took one little scare for anxiety to just, just go right into my heart. And then people are coming to the hospital. They're like, oh, are you so happy? I was like, yeah, I'm happy, but I have a migraine in my chest. I mean, I just have this worry that has just come on so suddenly, so powerfully. I mean, they're going to send us out of here in three days without even a training video. I mean, they're just giving us a, a car seat and good luck. I mean, it's like, go, you know, and that's how I felt. I was freaking out and trying to stay cool because Megan was being so strong. I mean, it was just wild, but that's that anxiety, right? And what this scripture promises us What it's saying to us is that when we point our children at the vision of love your God, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength, that you can remove that anxiety, that you can experience peace in parenting because the Lord is building their life. Man, that sounded good old boy churchy right there. The Lord is building their life, somebody. But you hear what I'm saying, that Your toil is full of anxiety. I mean, you think about the curse that came upon Adam and Eve the day they walked out of the garden, that thorns and thistles for you, just sweat from your brow for you, the toil that we go through in this life. And what this is saying is, is that as we put our steps in order with the path that he's laying out in front of us, that we experience this peace in what we do, a trust in him that when things seem crazy with our kids, We can put our trust in his word that is alive, that we know is shaping them into who God has called them to be. And so with that, we also have to know what is coming against them. So let me just go ahead and prepare you. I've already kind of taken you there. I got you deep in the woods this morning saying things that I'm sure none of you have a clue what I'm talking about. I barely understand it, where it's like his enemy will not be able to accuse him at the gates. It's like, what, what does that mean? But this next one is even deeper into the woods. This is Paul talking about the opposition that our children and we face when it comes to growing in a relationship with Christ. The external and internal influences, right? The external environmental factors that weigh against us as we go after this vision of Christ's life. So this is what he says. And he's, he's making a gospel celebration here. He's talking to a bunch of people at Ephesus, and this was a big deal for them because there was all kinds of occult practices happening there at the time. So if you want to nerd out, go study that some more for yourself. But this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Here's number one. Following the course of this world, first influence, Number two, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's number three. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. Meaning we were born that way. I've never had to teach Seth how to tell a lie. I'm constantly trying to teach him how to tell the truth. He came out in that setting, man. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Come on, somebody. I mean, it's, 
He's telling us like, you've been saved. Christ's power is greater than these other influences, but no, they are there. Now, the traditional description of these three influences is the world, the flesh, and the devil. That we're experiencing three environmental factors at all times. Matter of fact, the scripture teaches that before you believed in Christ, that there was a work against you in your belief that you were blinded by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of the age, Satan who is against God's people. And if that confuses you, me too, rock and roll, right? Keep pressing, keep pursuing, keep studying. But what it's saying to you is that there is a war against you. There's a war against your soul, against the potential that's in you. And there are, in addition to, there are, in addition to that war, these wars going on inside of you. Because you were born into this world, a, ch- a child of Adam, you have this flesh, right, that does not always want what it should. But now through Christ, you are born again and have inherited the Spirit of God that gives you a new heart, a new life, a new potential and purpose that there's this war going on between you inside of you where you want two things at one time every day you want to be faithful and unfaithful merciful and vengeful loving and unloving you are growing in the love of God you're not earning the love of God you're learning the love of God and as you learn the love of God you learn more about the way he loved you it transforms you From the inside out, you have a renewed mind and a transformed heart and you experience this rise of moral standards within you because your definition of good and evil shifts from the one you've made for yourself to the one that he has set before us in his word. And so knowing these influences, knowing that not only there's an adversary, there's a snake in the garden, there's a war within, but man, there is also this course set in the world. That's always moving. The definition of morality is always shifting. What's best today is not what was best yesterday. What is wise today is not what was wise last year. That there's this course where society at large will say, follow our pattern. But there is a pattern following after this vision that if we set our kids on it, there will be times in their life that they may stand out or seem strange. But the vision is one that will carry them through the days of their life with God's wisdom, which surpasses worldly wisdom. So this is what we have to ask then. Okay, well, how do I do this? I mean, how do I overcome these influences? I mean, Are you suggesting that there's some kind of super spiritual status that I have to arrive to? Well, let me just help every parent in the room right now. Let me just build on what Sam said last week. We're all pouring dirty water into the vessel of our kids. We're all making mistakes, all doing things that we shouldn't do, saying things we shouldn't say. We're all doing that. But there is this water turning to wine miracle that Jesus does something in their hearts and takes the things we have tattooed on their heart, good and bad, and uses it for their good. He turns it in such a powerful way that it becomes a part of their story. I'll tell you something that happened in my own life. There was a day my dad was coming, he was headed to work and he said to me before he left, summer day, so I was home from school. He said, David, I want you to pump up the tires on the boat, uh, the boat trailer, get the gear ready. We're gonna go as soon as I get home. My dad was a dude that would just he would lose it, right? He had a very short temper. He would lose it. And as a kid, you start to study your parents' mood, obviously. And especially if you have an angry parent, my dad was never abusive, 
but he was just scary. He looked and sounded like a grizzly bear and you just didn't want dad to be mad. He loved to yell. That was kind of his thing. Could cuss better than anybody I've ever heard in my life. It's just, he was a sailor. He just had, he had the delivery, the timing, the aggression, delivered it. And it was scary. And he said to me before he left that day, he said, get everything ready, load it all up. And I said, yes, sir, sure will. And don't you know it, I forgot. So he's coming home that day. You could gauge the mood my dad was in by the sound of his equipment being pulled behind his truck on the dirt road. If it was a loud gravel rumble, it was a bad day. If it was a slow gravel rumble, man, good day. He's just happy to be home. I've never heard the gravel move like it did that day. And of course, that triggered the idea, oh, dad had a bad day. Number two, I forgot to do what I said I would do. I run out to the backyard. By this time, he's already back there and he looks at the trailer. It's not prepped. And he says, okay, what are you doing? Why is it not ready? And he's about to lose it. I can see it. So instead of just telling the truth, I decided it was smarter to lie to his face, to lie to the grizzly bear who wanted to go eat his fish, right? That kind of thing. So I say to him, you know what? I tried. I don't know what I was doing wrong. Come on, dad. I need you to show the old chip how to use it properly, whatever. I was trying to manipulate the situation. And he says, fine, whatever, go get it. So I go to the shed and wouldn't you know it, the tire pump that has lived in the same corner all of my life was not there. The same tire pump that I had claimed to have had in my possession just hours earlier was not there. So I have to go back to the hungry bear and tell him no fish for you, sir, today kind of thing. So I go back to him and I say, there's no fish for you today. I don't know where the tire pump is. I lied, right? And you could see it just building in his mind. And he did something I'm not recommending in this sermon, but this was so fast. He just (laughs) struck me right in the middle of the chest. I mean, just like, (laughs) take your breath away moment. And after I regained my breath, I stood back up, tears pouring out of my eyes, right? Just terrible moment. But he said something meaningful in the moment, which shocked me. He wasn't the kind kind of guy to give out fortune cookies every day. But he looked at me and he said, David, do not lie to people you love. I mean, it was shocking. I was one trying to catch my breath and then, you know, figuratively trying to catch my breath too. It just stunned me what he said. And here's why that's so important. Because years later, my dad is at a rehab facility. He's experiencing some of the most growth he ever has, a wonderful place in Fort Lauderdale called Calvary Chapel. And we're talking on the phone about the session he had with his therapist earlier that day. And he said something to me. He said, you know what, David, I discovered today? The reason why I was able to become an alcoholic was because I was already a liar. I had built a system of deception within my life and in our home between my mom and your mom and me and with you guys. And I was managing this this reputation I had with my family because I wanted to manage what people thought of me. And it just, it laid a groundwork for me to do this later in life. And I was able to connect the dots in that moment. You know what my dad did on that day? As imperfect as my dad was, having no relationship with Christ, he looked at me in that moment, seeing something in his son that he knew was in himself. And he said, don't do what I have done. He said to me something that was true, even though he did not do it himself. Don't lie to people that you love. And later, becoming a Christ follower, learning the power of truth, that truth sets you free. I'm 
I encounter, just like all of you, every day, microscopic opportunities to lie, just to twist the truth, modify, sanitize, withhold, whatever it is. But there's this just constant opportunity with the prideful motivation of managing something without other people knowing. And I have found that just being upfront and honest with wisdom and how you deliver it to people is just the best way to go, even if it hurts them. That you'll actually have more favor with them if you don't try to flatter them by being deceptive, even in the slightest way. What did Jesus do? He took this really twisted moment with my dad, water turned to wine, and that experience informs this truth that Jesus has. So just like Jacob said, the worst thing you could do with all of this information we've shared this month is nothing. The worst thing you could do is nothing. You have to start. You have to be the tipping point. You have to be the turning point. You have to be the person that's willing to stop one course in your family history and start a new course of family history under the guidance of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you follow what he taught rather than what you feel or what you inherited from the generation before you, because that is what ultimately overcomes, right? You're asking the question, the tension is building. How do I do this? How do I overcome these influences? How do I teach my children how to overcome these influences within themselves and outside of themselves? Well, luckily, John in 1 John answers this for us. Listen to what he says. 1 John 5, verses 1 through 4 Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. What does that mean? That means, yes, when we first start following Jesus, his commandments are burdensome because there's a transition that happens between my definition of good and evil and his definition of good and evil. I stop trying to earn God's love through effort and works and I learn his love by accepting what Christ did on my behalf. And as I grow in his love, his commandments become less burdensome because I learn his ways are better than mine. His wisdom is higher than mine. His thoughts are greater than mine. And what he says I should do in any given situation is better than what my heart will tell me to do in that same situation. Verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith is the thing that overcomes these influences. Our faith is the thing in Christ who has overcome the powers of this world, who has overcome, who has, he has removed us from darkness and brought us into light. He has helped us in the ways we could not help ourselves. He's done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And it's faith and faith alone. These moments that happen where I'm living this out, striving for progress, not perfection, knowing that I'm not always going to get it right. I might miss the mark. I might end up like Sam's parents sending him to the house of somebody where a dude opens the, the door with an open robe and a Budweiser and they're trying to win him to Christ. I mean, it's going to be weird. You're going to miss the mark. But if you have the conversation, you teach, you talk, you bond, and it's ongoing through your life, what may not be meaningful today could take on life 
and become meaningful in the future. I have this little moment with soon to be six Seth, soon to be three Charlie, every single night. We pray this prayer that is more of a vision than it is a prayer. It is a scripture-inspired description of a person's life. I mean, it's something that we have built as a family for almost half a decade now, and we pray it every night. And like anything else can become robotic, can become the box we check that we can rush through as a family. And it's amazing to watch a six-year-old kid go, we bless Seth and Charlie to fear the Lord, walk in his ways, to eat the fruit of the labor of his hands, to be joyful and fruitful in his home, to be, I mean, just lifeless. And there might come a day in Seth's life when his faith is fragile and what I taught him may not matter and something may have happened that I never could have controlled or predicted, but tattooed on his heart is Psalms 128. And he might even be in a situation, I've said this before and I always get emotional talking about it, but I imagine it. He might be in a situation where someone is in his presence and they just say something in front of him that he knows deep in his bones is not true. That is harmful to them and others. That is just not true about life or people. And even if he doesn't want to mention me, even if he doesn't want to talk about my faith that shaped this thing in his heart, he'll say, you know, my dad used to say, it's the tattoo that you won't regret. It's the thing that will go with them the rest of their life, introducing it to them and talking about it with them. Because this is the thing I need you to understand. Up until about, a, about 500 years ago, Christians, followers of Jesus, read the scriptures together always. Only until literacy started to grow and the ability to print started to advance were we even able to have a personal Bible. Before that time, Christians always read it together, which means there was always a conversation. The critical thought was always brought up. Memorization does not happen only through some solo act where you get up early in the morning and you read through it and you check your box. It's a conversation over your lifetime where you involve your whole family about the work that Christ is doing in you. And this is what Paul reassures us with in Colossians 2. This is my final verse today. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What is he saying? He's saying you're following an example and you're setting an example. You're explaining it and living it. You're learning and turning and loving as you learn more about how Christ loves you. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Teach your kids the love of God and live it out in front of them in every messy way. And when appropriate, tell them the stories of your faith. And if you do this, you'll experience a mixture of everything we've talked about this month. You'll have the drive-by Bible studies. You'll have the moments where you as a family do things that may seem strange to others, but it's because you're going after a vision of love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength. You don't try to perform for your kids religiously and to have all of the answers, but you openly admit where you don't and you talk to them, teach them, 
and immerse them in these things so that they themselves can learn about the person of Jesus Christ. They can know who God is and they are through a relationship with him. So I wanna ask you to do something. Will you go ahead and stand with me because we're gonna end a little bit differently today. We're gonna sing a, a, a new song, a song that I think they've done before, but it's a powerful song to cap off this series and this message with. And here's what I wanna challenge you to do. I want you to just lock up because I imagine you're here with your family or with friends who feel like family. It's the family you've chosen for yourself. And I want you just to pray for each other, right? You can add anything onto this you want to. Man, put your arms around their shoulder, hold their hand, whatever it is you wanna do. But just as a point of contact, pray that they will grow in their relationship with Jesus, that they will know who God is and who they are, and that they'll be able to share with others their experiences, especially their kids. I want you to pray that over one another today and anything you want to add as we end this message. So let me just pray for you. Father, we thank you that you give us a new life and a new heart. You've given us the gift of your spirit that's transforming us, teaching us what to do every day, teaching us how to read and understand the scriptures, showing us how to follow Jesus, the way to follow Jesus. And God, for anyone here today who feels that anxious toil of parenting, especially raising their children in faith, I pray that you'll show them today that what they do is not in vain when they point them to you. When they point them to you in this vision of life you've given for us, it's not in vain. Help us to transition from that today. If we don't know you as our personal Lord and Savior, that we will have that critical conversation with you ourselves that will wrestle with who Jesus is and who he claimed to be and what that means for all of us in this world, that everyone will live forever somewhere. And you have said that you are God's son in the way of salvation. Teach us how to teach that to others and set an example for others and help us to create that culture within our own home, that there is a meaningful, ongoing conversation about Jesus in our house. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.